Hey, Merry Christmas, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. Before I begin, I just want to thank you, band. Would you thank the Lord for them? Yes, this is their fifth service. They all stayed with us the whole day, so thank you guys. Thank you for all your families, for giving us this day. Bill Horn, you sang, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, without your brain exploding. That is really good, man. Thank you so much. Well, uh, it was just a joy for me just to hear your voices. Um, that's one of our key values of worship is not just performance, but it's participation. So thank you for worshiping with us this evening. Hey, I am going to have an opportunity to talk to you about not just who Jesus is, but why he came. And then I want to talk to you about how he came to this world. And then I want to talk to you with about what should be our response. And so as we do that, I just want to, I just want to start off by saying, isn't this a beautiful day? I mean, short sleeve shirts on Christmas Eve. I have friends in Florida and in California who around Christmas Eve, they usually call me and say, yeah, we were hanging around the pool. Or we went out and did a round of golf. And so today I called them and I said, hey, it's 73 in Topeka. Merry Christmas. Click. I didn't even want to hear. I didn't even want to hear what it was there. So just wanted to give them a little bit of their own medicine. So as we draw into the scriptures, I want to answer the question real quickly. Why did Jesus come? Because that's what we're celebrating. That's what Christians get all excited about around this time of the year. And I want to draw you to two, pa- two passages in the scriptures that shows us that. And the first one is this. It's in Matthew chapter 1. When the angel told Joseph, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And look at this. This is the reason why. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ was born to save us from our sins. This is also kind of repeated when the angels announced to the shepherds that a child was born. The angels said to them, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, there it is, a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the picture of who Jesus is. I was reading, uh, Tim Keller wrote this. He says, the birth of the Son of God into the world is a gospel. It's good news. It's an announcement. And this is the announcement. You don't save yourself. God has come to save you. And he came to save us. He came to save us as we look at this. Even his name represents why he came. Jesus, Yeshua, literally means our God saves, and he will save his people from their sins. One of the things over the past several weeks is we've prepared our hearts and our lives and our minds around this incredible work of God of sending his son to this world to be born, to take on flesh, to live perfectly for us, to die finally for us, and then to rise on the third day is we've looked at how Jesus came into this world. He came in as a humble, gracious, and faithful servant of God. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of talk about each one of these. How did Jesus come here? And then I want to try to answer that question of how, how should we live as a result of that. So let's look at this first value of he came humbly. 
And you know, certainly as you look at the Roman Empire at the time of Christ when he came, there, there was a lot of places he could have been born if you wanted to have him go right into the mainstream of the media and the mainstream of life at that time. And that would be, he would be born in Rome, right? But he actually was born in Bethlehem, off to the side of the world. By the way, welcome kids. <laughs> it's great to have you here. And the first Christmas was in a stable with a crying baby. So we can keep listening as we have a child who melts down a little bit. Okay, all right. Um, so we've talked as, as Christ humbled himself to come down to this earth. We talked about humility is literally stepping down from your position. Stepping down from even your rights to lift God and others up. And when I think about that, when I think about that, it, whenever you choose to care about someone, whenever you make the, the choice or commitment to love someone, it's going to involve humility. You stepping down from yourself to lift them up. And, and the choice to do that is when you act in humility. When others humiliate you, it's usually their choice to, to stomp on you or something like that. But there's other choices that we make that just humble us by committing to them, by loving them, by caring for them, by coming alongside to help them. Like one of the things that we get involved in is raising our kids, right? Kids will humble you if you're a parent. First of all, you don't know how selfish you are until you get married and try to love someone else. And then you don't know how selfish you both are until you have kids. They humble you. I was reading uh, just the, the top tweets of parents about their kids in 2021, and I want to share a few of them of how their kids humiliated them. One is James Breakwell says his six-year-old asked him the question, do you have lots of money? He answers it, I'm rich in other ways, like family. She says, so you're broke. <laughs> Look at the picture. The wife says, what you doing? He says, just chilling with the boy. He says, why is, she says, why isn't he at school? He says, it's Saturday. He goes, it's absolutely is not. It's Friday. <laughs> James Rickwell again, eight-year-old girl, fights with her sisters. He goes, all right, who started it? She says, you did when you had so many kids. <laughs> this guy says, my kids would be late to school even if we lived inside school. And as we were doing the run-through, I actually had a homeschool family who said, that's how it is. It's, they're late. We homeschool, and they're always, we're always late. <laughs> Look at the picture. The mother tweets, I was spitting sunflower seeds out the window on the way home, but I guess they found their way back in the car. <laughs> that, that poor girl. This mother writes, when you really need your toddler to stop asking questions for just two stinking minutes. <laughs> Can I get an amen from the mother of a two-year-old? Okay, all right. This father says, my son on why Caleb is his best friend at kindergarten. Caleb says, he doesn't really speak English, so we can skip all the talking and just get right to the karate. Simon says, I, ne well, Simon says, I never understood how the little drummer boy's parents could just send him inside, send him outside alone at night to play his drum until my bro daughter brought a recorder home from school. <laughs> I remember those noises, right? And this one, this is for our grandparents in the room. Grandmas, be like, I'm going to stay a few days and reset your children back to factory settings. <laughs> 
kids can humiliate us. But I want to talk to you about the most humble act ever done in this world, in the history of the world. And that is the humble act of Jesus leaving heaven to come and live here on earth to save us from our sins. Paul says this about it. He says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But look at this but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Think about that. Emptying himself, stepping down to be obedient to the will of the Father and to lift us up to save us from our sins. Paul would write in another place in the book of Galatians, he would say, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I just want you to think about that phrase, when the fullness of time had come. I think about that moment. And everything that the Bible shares with, with me about a vision of heaven or a picture of heaven, I see in a book of like Isaiah or in the New Testament book of Revelation. And you see that the angels and all the beings in heaven are saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. There's peals of, of, of lightning and of thunder and heaven is literally rocking with all the creatures in worship and adoration of Jesus. Jesus is at the throne, seated at the right hand of his father and all the praise and all the glory is going to him. And like Isaiah, when Isaiah was asked, who will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. When the will of the Father said, at the fullness of time had come, Jesus said, here am I, send me. And he left the shouts of heaven for the silence of a womb of a, Mary, of, of a woman named Mary. And he developed and was born because he would save his people from their sin. That is the greatest act of humility. And it's when God humbled himself for us. In order for us to be saved, God had to do it. We couldn't do it for ourselves. And so God literally said, I'll do what is required of you. I will send my son Jesus to live and to die and to rise for you. And that great act of humility meant salvation for us. Second thing, not only did he come humbly, he also came as a gracious servant. When you think about grace, I think about the undeserved, unmerited, unconditional love of God shown to us in Christ. Gracious isn't always fair, and that is we don't always get what we deserve from God. We get his love when we should have his wrath. And, and grace in our lives means that we're not abandoned by God. We're not rejected by him. He doesn't punish him, that he accepts us as children through our faith in Christ. This is what Paul would write to Titus. And he would say, for the grace of God has appeared. Who, who is that grace of God? Jesus appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that just shows you the wide open arms of a God of grace, a God of love, calling whoever calls on the name of his son Jesus will be saved. That's the picture, a very inclusive, whoever would call on the name of very specific Jesus would be saved. Jesus Christ is the grace 
of God. And I remember just as a child, that made sense to me, and I realized it wasn't up to me to save myself, so I had to put my faith in Jesus to do that, and I received the gift of grace through Christ in my life. But you know, as I, as I continued to grow, I wondered, is God's grace still being shown to me? Or was it kind of a one and done kind of thing? And every Christmas Eve, I remember going back 32 years ago, this Christmas Eve, to where I was. And I was in Dallas. I was in Dallas, Texas. I was going through seminary. And to pay my way through seminary, I had to work a job with the Dallas Morning News throwing papers. It was such a glamorous job. Waking up at 3.30 in the morning and finishing at 7.30 in the morning. During the school hours, I I had a Hebrew class at 8. So please, don't ever give me a Hebrew test. I totally forgot everything I learned in Hebrew. But one thing I remember on Christmas Eve, 32 years ago, I was alone. I was alone in a in an efficiency apartment, one room apartment. And I didn't have, I didn't have family. I didn't have friends. At Thanksgiving, my girlfriend broke up with me. So I was really alone. And then I made a call home. Now, let me set the stage for you on that. Because I grew up in an Arab family and Christmas is an incredible holiday. Everyone gets together and there's laughing. It was like my big fat Greek wedding on steroids. And, and my family is laughing in the background to make the call. All the kids are screaming and running through the house and there's shouting of joy and then there's food and they had lamb and they had prime rib and they had shrimp. Excuse me, I'm salivating just as I mentioned it to you. And there was joy and there was food and guess what I had back in Dallas? I had cold chicken and Cheetos. <laughs> I shared this last service and a guy came up to me and said, you know what I have tonight? I have ramen. I said, you need to hang around me a little bit more then. But, but I just remember hearing that, and I could almost smell the, 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 the food through the phone. It was a landline, so you could still smell things off of a phone. <laughs> and, and I just remember, I just remember all the joy and all the loneliness. And I asked the question, God, what are you doing? I didn't sense the grace of God in my life. I, I just, I felt alone. And I remember, ever since that happened, I've never forgotten about single people or single again people around this time. And I've tried to reach out. We've tried to reach out and invite people into our home because I remember how lonely I felt. But now at my Christmas table, I have Cheryl, my wife, who actually, I mean, in God's grace, she gave up the name Smith for Hishma, okay? And she became my wife 30 years ago. And and we're madly in love with each other still. And we have three boys and two of them are married. And I look around our table and I just go, God, why did I ever question your grace at a time like this? And you know what? If you're at this place of feeling alone and feeling isolated and wondering, is the love of God still coming to you in Christ? Don't give up. The grace of God is at work. It's showing itself in many different ways. But ultimately, there will be a time, either on this earth or in heaven, when you're with Christ and he will show you, this is what I was doing. This is how I was working. Because God is a God of grace. And Christ came to us, showing us and revealing us his love for us. So he was humble. He was gracious. And he was also faithful. 
When we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about being true to your word. When we talk about being a Christ follower, we're, we're talking about taking God at his word and acting on it, even before you know and fully understand what he's doing. That's to be a person of faith. And I think about someone who is faithful to his word, and I think about having breakfast with a friend of mine. And we were up in Milwaukee, and we were sitting across the table, and we hadn't seen each other in years, and we were catching up. And he's one of those friends that as soon as you start out, you pick up where you left off. And so you just probably have a friend like that, and you just can start sharing everything as if you've never had that separation. And as we were talking, we didn't really realize anyone or anything going on around us. And then the whole restaurant became quiet. And it became, as it became quiet, I, my voice kind of, you know, went quieter, and his voice began to go quieter, and then all of a sudden we really noticed we're the only ones talking. And we look over, and there's an elderly gentleman who comes through the emergency exit of the, of the door, and the, um, one of the maitre d's comes and opens up the door so he can get through, and his wife is behind him in a walker, and he's clearing the way, and he's coming alongside of her, and she is walking, n- no doubt, inches at a time in her walker. It takes them about two minutes for her to find, for them to be seated from that door to where they were going to be seated. The whole restaurant, all the air is kind of sucked out of it, and everyone is just looking, and sure enough, she's seated. He folds he folds the walker. She, he goes then outside, and, and she had parked the car right next to the curb so they just could have a short amount of time to walk. He goes and parks it in the parking lot and walks in. And it's something, the whole, as soon as he did that, the whole restaurant looked at each other and smiled. Because here was a man who is faithful for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, when life is going fast and when life slows down. We long for, we aspire to be faithful people, but we all fall short. Which is why Jesus is not just the example, he is the substitute of our unfaithfulness. Jesus came and was faithful to the word of God. In the book of Isaiah, that was prophesied some 700 years before the birth of Jesus, it says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has has light shone. And then it says later on in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Prophesied 700 years, and when Christ was born, that prophecy was fulfilled because God is a God of his word. And the birth of Jesus, how he came into this world, was a fulfillment that God was faithful to his word for us. I will save you from your sins. Now, as you think about these three words, humble, gracious, faithful, and I I just want to ask you, would people say that's who you are? Would people say they see this in you? Let me ask another question. Would people say that about the church? That we are humble, gracious, and faithful people. Okay, each service, it's too convicting. I need to move on, right? But that's what we have to, that's what we, if, 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 if we're Christ followers, my, my most simple definition of a Christ follower is they are people who follow Jesus. 
And he was not just our example, but our substitute as a humble, gracious, and faithful servant in his birth, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection then we too need to reflect these values. I will tell you this. The world is in need. Your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, this city is in need of humble followers of Jesus who don't think they know it all and don't think that they can do it all, but people who step down from themselves to make Jesus greater in their lives. The world needs more gracious people, less people to lay on the horn and more people to let off the gas in life and to treat people like we've been treated by God better than we deserve. That ought to be a picture of every Christian and every Christ follower and we need to be people of God's word. People who know it, who through the power of the Holy Spirit understand it and live it in this world so that as we live, we get a picture of this child who was born in Bethlehem, who lived and died and rose for us. And so let me just encourage you as we get our minds around this and now our lives around it, receive the one who humbled himself for you. Here's what I'm going to say. To trust in Christ, you have to humble yourself. Here's what I mean. You can no longer say, if it's going to be, it's up to me in my relationship with God. You can't work your way to heaven. Christ did that already. He lived, he died, he rose again for you. Humble your pride. Humble your, your heavy working uh, attitude to always increase your position or always to try to earn the favor of God and receive the one who humbled himself for you. Secondly, rest. Rest in the grace of God in Christ for you. You know, that's a, that's a great picture of of receiving Christ into your life. And that's one that we need, especially around this hurried time in our world where everyone's just busy or everyone's just anxious or everyone's worrying. Everyone is wondering, am I good enough? Did I do enough? And especially with God, we bring those questions and we ask those questions, especially when life gets quiet. So in this quiet moment, can I just tell you, when you have Jesus, you can rest. It's not up to you on all the things you do. It's what's been done by Christ. It's not you trying to improve your status with God. It's you trusting in the only one who lived and died and rose for you. Trust in that. Rest in the grace of God. That's one of the greatest uh, reminders I can give you at this time. Rest. Find your rest in Jesus. And then finally, remember. Remember your faith is based on his faithfulness. I need to remember this because on my own, without Jesus, when I want to go and blaze my own trail, whether it's in ministry or not in ministry, I, I can compare my life with others. I can stack up the effectiveness of ministry on, on all the wrong numbers. And therefore, I have to come back to this simple relationship with Christ. But it's not up to my faithfulness. It's up to his faithfulness. My relationship with him and everything I do in life is through the hands of a faithful God. As we celebrate on this Christmas Eve, we're going to take our candles right now, and we're going to light them. And we're going to sing a song that now is 205 years old. It's called Silent Night. I don't know if you know the story behind that song, but it was written in 1816 in uh, a small village in Austria named, named Oberdorf, or 
Oberndorf, and it was written by a priest. And all the Austrian soldiers came back from fighting the Napoleonic Wars. And for once in many years, there was peace again in their village. And everyone was home safe. And as he got up early one cold winter morning, he went out for a walk, and he heard silence. And so he wrote, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. And it was in that time of peace, in silence, that he could really get his mind around the true meaning of this child being born. And he responded by writing this. I want to remind you that we have silence. We have silence from all the accusations against us, from condemnation against us. We have silence from all the things required of us, all the things that we might feel uncomfortable with a holy and righteous God. We have silence because Jesus came and fought that battle. He lived a life. He died a death, and he rose from the dead for you and for me to save us from our sins. So what we're going to do is we're going to light these candles and we're going to demonstrate just as Christ humbled himself and showed us the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. I, my candle is just going to represent the work of Christ and others are going to come and they're going to light my, uh, from my candle and they're going to spread it on as everyone who has Christ. One of the greatest gifts you can ever give is the gift of Christ and is going to live that. And in this dark room, we're going to light it up by the simple process of sharing the light that you have been given. And it's my prayer that as we do this and as we sing this, that you would take this away from here. And the greatest gift you've ever been given of Christ, uh, that, that you would share him with others and light this dark world. Let's do that.